Good afternoon, everybody. This is Patham with today's Sunday sermon. And I kind of want to focus on what I promised last week. I promised last week that I was going to do a Sunday sermon on Lucifer and the misconceptions about him. And I'm also going to do another part of this Sunday sermon focused on magic that's hitting inside of the Bible. So let's, we're going to start off with Lucifer and the misconceptions that everyone has about him. And there's a lot of misconceptions about it. And that's because the Bible is very good at wordplay. Is is You know, that book is a professional at wrapping words around your head to the point where you actually start believing in situations and stories that didn't actually happen. And you have to be very careful about it. And this is one example of it. Because because of the wordplay in the Bible, you know, Satan, Lucifer, or the devil, or whatever it is you want to call him, has been painted as, you know, somebody that he's not. And that's because you have people who use this religion as a form of retaining money and power, explaining it to you. And they didn't take the time out to actually learn what, you know, what they're teaching. They just know that if they preach it right, you'll do whatever they tell you. And they've been successfully doing it for hundreds of years. So... We're going to start this podcast off with, you know, the true identity of Satan or Lucifer, whatever you want to call him. Okay, now we're going to dive into this whole Lucifer thing. And just like I was saying a couple minutes ago that the Bible is a professional at wordplay. And if you're not careful you can end up believing in a story or a situation that didn't really happen. You have to really research the words that's being used. Now, if you really want to be honest, the Bible used the words Satan and devil a lot, but you only hear about it mentioning Lucifer once or twice. But you have to understand what these different words mean. Now, the word Satan, you know, it doesn't mean anything negative. It means adversary. And then you have the word devil, which means a very clever and skillful and, and strong-willed person. So when you hear a Christian saying Satan or the devil, they're saying a very skilled and willful adversary. That doesn't mean anything negative or evil. That just means that... They're, you know, they have an enemy that's hard to deal with. And then you have the whole fact that the minute religion, mainly Christianity, took a hold of these words, that's when the whole evil spinoff where they attached the definition of a fallen angel to each and every last one of them. When... They're not names, they're actually just labels. Now, and another podcast is coming in a few weeks about the missing books of the Bible. 
in the book of Enoch, they mentioned the word Satan once, and it was plural. It says sat Satan's, not Satan. But the thing is, Lucifer wasn't mentioned at all in that book. You know, they didn't blame him for anything. It was a whole, you know, different group of angels that received the title as Satan's, which were adversaries. And you have the word Lucifer, which, you know, means the morning star. And the morning star is actually the planet Venus, which is not a star, as you know. But the planet Venus is considered the morning stars because it's the brightest planet in the solar system and it shines so bright that you can see it in the morning and in the evening. And you can look in the sky, you can see Venus every night because it it doesn't pulsate but it has a steady glow of purple. And that's the and that's considered the morning star. So when they mention Lucifer, they actually mention they're actually mentioning Venus, the planet Venus. So that's why Lucifer isn't really mentioned in that term, per se, because it's, it's considered the light bringer. Which actually what, you know, Satan did in the, the Garden of Eden. He brought them light. It, and, you know, in my past podcast, I talked about the story of the Garden of Eden being allegory for the Kundalini. But... If you want to put it in those literal terms, you know, it's Satan possessing a snake and telling Adam and Eve to eat the apple, then yeah, he brought them light. He exposed knowledge and information to them that was going to be, you know, withheld from whoever created them. And because of Satan, they were able to expand their consciousness and see the world for what it really was instead of just some facade that was you know, constructed as a garden. So, so when you put all these three terms together, you have a light bringer who turns into a, a willful and skillful adversary. And if you and if you put those three terms together, then you really have to question the real intentions of the God that you're worshiping, because if they're labeling a, a very intelligent and strong will light bringer as their adversary and enemy, then what type of energy is this guy bringing? In the next segment, we're going to talk about the difference between Lucifer, Pan and Baphomet. Okay, let's talk about Lucifer, Baphomet, and Pan. We're going to move Pan out the equation for a minute. And we're just going to talk about Lucifer and Baphomet. The reason why is because there's been confusion about these two deities for a long time now. Most people, mainly religious folk, think that these two are the same deities and they're actually not. And... You know, that's because of, you know, my, you know, modernized fear pushed by religion. You know, anything that's not Christian is automatically satanic. Which, you know, y'all know the definition of Satan, 
which you know, which is adversary. So, just to you know, just to deal with these you know deities outside of Christianity automatically make you an adversary, you know, of Christianity. But Lucifer and Baphomet, they're two different deities. They represent two different bodies in the solar system. Like I told you in the last segment, Lucifer is the morning star, which is Venus, the brightest star, you know, in the, in the morning and night sky. Baphomet, on the other hand, represents the planet Saturn. Now, as you can tell by the appearance of Baph- Baphomet, he has a black gold head. That gold head represents the star, which is actually kind of like the orbital sequence of Saturn. And, you know, in certain, in certain aspects. And then you also have the fact that black is the color of Saturn. And one thing to point out is that Baphomet also represents phosphorus, which is a light bringer on this planet. So, you know, they're both light bringers. Let's bring Pan into the equation. Pan is a, you know, is a Greek, you know, Greek god. And he's also considered a light bringer among the Greek gods. This is where they get the appearance of Lucifer and Baphomet from because Pan was was often depicted with attributes of a goat. And, you know, certain histories claim that the, the nice Templar started worshiping Baphomet, as, you know, as a deity of knowledge and light instead of, you know, a Christian God. And they and. You know, some stories say that they were prosecuted. Some stories say that, you know, they they escaped prosecution and went somewhere else. Who knows where they went at? But as you could tell, though, you know, those are some of the first examples of Christians waking up to the actual truth and being prosecuted. Well, I wouldn't say that's the first example of it, but it could be one of the first examples of in history. But when you connect all three of those deities together, spread out through different mythologies and religions, even in astrology, they all represent the same exact thing. They represent bringing light. And it capitalized on Baphomet being a light bringer his name derives from two Greek words, Bapha, which means baptism, and Metis, which means wisdom. So Baphomet actually means baptism of wisdom. So that's just a few things to think about whenever you hear someone being called a devil worshiper or satanic, or you're even being called satanic or devil worshiper for the things you're doing. Because in all reality, it's not an insult. You know the true meanings now. They're actually calling you the light bringers. So whenever someone calls you satanic or a devil worshiper or Satan worshiper, take pride in it because you're actually bringing light. Now, this part of the Sunday sermon, we're going to be focused on 
magic hidden throughout the Bible. And this is going to be a funny subject because magic is one of the supposed abominations against, you know, God, Jesus, and then, you know, and anything related to heaven. When in fact, you know, two books out of the Bible is nothing but magic. One of the books I hear, you know, Christians recite all the time, even, you know, especially when they're in trouble. I hear them go to this book to recite a scripture from out of here, not knowing that, you know, they're performing magic. Little do they know, even though it's not complete magic, but that's what they're doing. They're reciting, you know, spells to manipulate reality, you know, practicing the same abominations against the God that they worship. The same abominations that, you know, they, they might accuse some of y'all of doing. And they're at church right now reading out of this, you know, abominable book in the, in the Bible. And this book that I'm talking about, what are the, what are the first books I'm talking about is the book of Psalms. And everybody has read from the book of Psalms and the book of Psalms is actually, I think is one of the biggest books from, in the Bible. It has the most scriptures and is actually a spell book. And like I said, it's not complete spells, and I'm going to tell you why. Psalms is mainly, you know, Kabbalic magic, you know, you know, Hebrew frequency. Because the Hebrew language is, you know, is nothing but frequency embedded in each letter that's capable of manipulating reality. And I'm going to tell you a secret. In the book of Exodus... Chapter 14, verse 19 to 21, there's 72, you know, words in those, you know, within those scriptures. When you're dealing with the Kabbalah and the hidden knowledge within that book and any other Hebrew book, you're going to come across 72 a lot. Even though it equates to nine, which is, you know, God consciousness you're going to break here broken down, you know, at 72. Now, you rearrange, you know, those words. Well, first you gotta you gotta take the words back in the Hebrew writing and, and, and linguistics. Once you do that, you have to start rearranging those words in the little triplets of letters. And those letters are frequencies that you know that does a certain purpose in reality. And, and in general, you know, once you do it right, you end up getting the 72 names of God. And in Kabbalah, you have 72 names of God. And each name represents a different manifestation force within this reality. And that's the whole point of this Psalms book. That's what it's missing. Because each scripture you know, has been replaced with God or Jehovah or whichever type of Bible you're reading out of. When those, you know, those small labels replace the exact names of the God that you need in order to manifest that scripture as a spell. So that's the only thing missing from out of the book of Psalms is the actual 72 names of God needed to perform the, the spell ritual work in that book. 
and I guess that was the, you know, a safety precaution of the people who stole the knowledge because they knew that once people started learning these things that they wouldn't need religion at all. They would find out that they're, you know, that, that God resides within them and not, you know, a realm and a cloud in the sky. Now, the thing is, you know, the 72 names of God, they're not completely hidden from everybody. It's just removed from out of the Bible. If you go to, you know, a bookstore, you go online and you go digging enough, you can find the 72 names of God somewhere and you'll be able to perform the ritual work needed. But if you're going to do it straight out of the Bible, you're just doing halfway magic. But it's just a little fun fact, you know, whenever somebody tells you, you know, hey, you're, you know, you're doing that magic stuff. Well, the first thing a person do is, well, a Christian, when they're having problems, they open up the Bible and they go to the book of Psalms. Especially, and one of my favorite scriptures that every Christian read when they're in trouble, I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. That's a spell from out of the book of Psalms when you're in trouble. Especially when you're walking around a place that's full of demonic spirits and you don't know what to do. That's what that whole part is. I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You're in a deathly place dealing with spirits. And that's a spell for protection against those spirits, believe it or not. But when you look in the book of Psalms, you can find spells for anything, whether it's good luck, you want to manifest money, you want to get out of a court case, or you want to heal from broken bones and things like that. All that magic is in a is in a book of Psalms. But you know, when you consider what I'm about to mention, my next segment of what's going on. This magic is, you know, kitty garden magic. This is the weaker stuff. This is the more, well, I would say the more safer magic to perform. Now, for my last part of the Sunday sermon, I want to talk about the other magic book in the Bible. And even though this magic book in the Bible seems harmless, the person who's performing this magic might just be considered one of the greatest male, you know, sages in the world. And I'm talking about King Solomon. And King Solomon, he really got into the, the real magic. And like I said in the last segment, you know, compared to his magic, you know, the sounds magic is, you know, safer. Because you're doing minor things with sounds magic. With Solomon magic, that's the heavier, that's the heavier things. Because you're not just manipulating reality. You're transcending between realities and you're doing different things. This is actually God work that Solomon was doing. And outside of the Bible, Solomon has other magic books. You have the higher and the lesser keys of Solomon which could be some of the most dangerous magic that you could ever come across. And anybody that's dealing with magic that Solomon left behind, I very much urge you to be precautious about what you're doing because, like I said, Solomon didn't play with the little, you know, rinky-dink magic. He, play, he summoned demons to do his dirty work. 
that's something that you really have to be careful of doing. He created sigils. You know, he talked to animals. He, you know, he was even able to go into the demonic realms and, you know, channel these demons to do whatever he wanted them to do. And I know, you, you, you know, you're thinking, you know, you read the book of Solomon and it doesn't sound like much. That's because the book of Solomon and the Bible somewhat sounds poetic. And, you know, it sounded nice, but that's just for the Bible. And even then, you know, a lot of that, you know, the King Solomon magic in the Bible, you know, that's move magic. That's things the, you know, those are spells where though you can recite that in front of somebody and they won't even know what happened to them. They just started, you know, doing whatever you tell them to do. But it sounded like, you, you know, you put a love spell on them, but you really didn't. That's how manipulative Solomon's magic really is. But like I said, outside the Bible, you have the you have the other magic that Solomon left behind. And all of that magic, you have to be very careful of doing. You have to realize that this is not some type of magic where you take a frog's frog leg and a root and you throw it in a big pot like they show in the movies. This is not that type of magic that that's going on in the world. The type of magic that's going on in the world is the type of stuff that can really change the world. And that could change your reality and the realities of everyone around you. So if this is what you're doing, then you have to be very careful. And anybody that I know that does magic, I always, you know, put that out there. Be careful of what you're doing because anything can happen at the end of that ritual or meditation or spell that you're doing. Because if you're not careful, you can end up summoning spirits that you can't control. So if you're going to play with Solomon magic, you know, baby steps, play with Psalms first, play with the safer magic first before you start dealing with Solomon. Because even in the Bible, it says that Solomon summoned a fleet of giants and an army of uh, demons to build the city for him. That's heavy magic right there. And this was after the supposed flood. And I know you're wondering where the hell did those giants come from? Well, you're talking about King Solomon. He, you know, he's the greatest male magician in the history of the, in the history of the world. Of course, you won't hear things like that. Just like about how he's supposed to have flew around the world on a magic carpet. You know. You know, it's things like that that make you think like, uh, that, you know, that's fairy tale until you hear stories of different, you know, from different parts of the world, different cultures. When they talk about a man that came to visit them on a magic carpet, I've actually heard stories from different parts, you know, people of Africa, people of Asia and even Aboriginal people in Australia mention meeting a man on a magic carpet. So if you so. If Solomon isn't real, if he was allegory, then whoever they based Solomon off of must have been a, a powerful person. So, you know, that's this is the end of my Sunday sermon for today. And I just hope that, you know, whatever misconceptions you do, you develop because of religion, I hope that, you know, they're starting to disappear and the wool is starting to be taken 
from over your eyes, all three of them. Because religion has another talent, which is painting a world for what it really isn't. You know, because people think that there's a deity that's out that's out here set to ruin your life, and then there's another deity that supposedly created you that's watching all over you, that's trying to make sure that everything good happens for you, you're always going to be in a state of delusion. You're always going to be in a state of irresponsibility and Ill, you know illogical thinking. You're never going to do for yourself. You're never going to become who you really are because every time you make a mistake, you blame it on a deity, you know, that supposedly be pain and evil when you're supposed to take responsibility for your mistakes and grow. You can't come out of that when every good thing that happens to you, you blame on a deity above you that's supposed to love you until you do something wrong. And that's, then that's when he's sending you to hell. When our reality you're supposed to love and cherish yourself. And that's, and that's one of the main things about self-healing. That's why a lot of people in religion aren't healed. Because they're blaming one deity for causing the, the, the bruising on their soul. And then they're leaving the responsibility of their healing to another deity on the sky that they think that's, you know, that's supposed to take care of them. You know, where is the self-growth at? So, like I was saying, I hope, you know, the wool is being taken over your eyes. And thank everybody. I thank everybody for listening to my podcast today. I hope everybody subscribed. And I, matter of fact, I'm going to see y'all tomorrow because I'm going to do a podcast with a special meditation. You know, I want to, I want to talk about the Merkaba. So, I, you know, I talk to everybody tomorrow. So enjoy, enjoy your Sunday and, and get some of the sun out too. There's no point of eye showing itself when don't nobody want to smile back.